Hi, and welcome to Fossilfern Christian Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message, and it will both challenge and inspire you. Okay, let's turn to the Word of God this morning. Um, Matthew 5, 1 to 12, I hope you um, had great Sundays while we were away. Uh, and we'll get to share a little bit about some of our adventures and misadventures of the last two weeks, which has been really interesting how things worked out. Thank you for praying for us. I, we really needed that prayer, I, I can tell you. Anyway, this morning we're going back to the Beatitudes. So Matthew 5, 1 to 12. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So today we're looking at Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I... I would imagine there's probably, if any, there would only be a few of us who would ever have experienced what these two words, hunger and thirst, are really saying here. I'm not talking about fasting, although fasting is hard work and can be painful at times. Um, I'm not talking about diet, I'm not talking about exercise. I'm talking about what these words talk about here is those who have no option. When they're hungry and thirsty, they just can't change their mind and do something else. When they're hungry and thirsty, there is no option. There's nothing. And that's, that's kind of what these words are implying here. Um, we might know a little bit about the physical pain that comes with them. Uh, but imagine the emotional and psychological torment of being in that place when you, your family, are hungry and thirsty and you have no options. There's nothing you can do about it. That's the depth of the desperation that these words here are implying. Um, My dictionary defines these words into two ways, uh, figuratively and, and metaphorically. The first one is, to suffer want, to be in need. And the second one is to crave, to seek with eager desire. So we saw this a little bit in Jesus' life in Matthew 4, 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then he had fasted. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Um. You might say that Jesus had an option, but not really because he was there for reason and purpose. And, and he knew what it was like to hunger and thirst. Um, 
in 1 Corinthians 4.11, Paul and Apollos, they write, To the present hour we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. Now, it's not just the physical pressure about these things. In both these cases, and many more, there's a spiritual pressure because the reason they're doing this sort of thing. I know these accounts, in these accounts, there's a reference to food and drink, obviously. Um, but there are many kinds of hunger and thirst in this world. Uh, we, we all are touched by these needs at times. There's those who are driven with a hunger and thirst for acceptance among their peers. There's those who are driven with a need for security and comfort. They hunger and thirst for security and comfort. There's those who are hungry and thirsty for riches, for fame, for power and authority, and all the variations that are included in that. But I want you to notice our text says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who really desire righteousness. And what happens is, because of that desire, because of that hunger and thirst, there's a, a, it seems to prioritize things in our lives. And... Uh, It, it relegates, if you were, other things down the order because there's such this desire. And, and you know, even if it is, um, this desire is just uh, an emotional thing, a mental thing, it still has this effect of reprioritizing things in our lives. And... Um, Moves the rankings, changes the rankings. But here's the thing with all of that. Because whether you're aware of it or not, whether you've recognized it or not, it, it, this happens a lot. And sometimes, mostly happens out of uh, good intentions. People's best of intentions, good desires. But, but what happens is, when we attempt in our own strength, which we call works, when we attempt in our own strength to uh, obtain some kind of righteousness, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness but resolve it with our own strength, what, what it really does, even though it relegates priorities in our lives, what it really does is when we're doing it in our own strength, it empowers those things we've relegated and they have an influence over our life, which leaves us wrestling with empowered shame, empowered guilt, and great condemnation. I, I don't know if you got that. I, I, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to complicate things. But generally, that's what happened when we, in our own strength, desire when we hunger and thirst, when we passionately desire righteousness, but we go about it in our own way, it's called legalism. And it doesn't work. Even with the best of intentions. There are rules and regulations that don't work. But what it does do, it empowers 
the shame. It empowers the guilt, the condemnation. So, so while we might in public have this habit, this ritual, this performance of doing seemingly righteous things or the right things at the right time, inside of us there's this battle going on because we know we're nowhere near it. And yet the sham, we, we work the sham, we protect the sham, our life becomes a sham. But behind it is incredible guilt and shame, condemnation. And some of us, a lot of us, in that position, then we transfer that because we can't handle it, so we transfer it onto others. Have you ever noticed that? Religious people will bring other people down and put bondages on them. And, and they're really just transferring their own shame and guilt and condemnation. Because it makes them feel better about themselves. But Jesus talked to the Pharisees about that. He said, you go all over the world to try and convert them, but you make them twice the son of hell as you are. Because you're, you're binding them up and you put guilt and shame and condemnation on them and you're trying to transfer, but it's just multiplying it. <coughs> I hope we can see that. And I know I'm preaching to the converted and there's probably some places that really, really need to hear that kind of truth, but probably never will. But if, at least if we start to understand that, we can defend ourselves. Uh, so, the way we implement the desire for righteousness is the way we implement that determines its success. If we do it in our own strength, if we attempt it in our own strength, it's doomed to failure. Can't work. No matter how disciplined you get, no matter how many rules and regulations you write, if you're doing it in your own strength and, and you put things to try and make it happen, it, you simply end up living a sham and wrestling with shame, guilt and condemnation that's been empowered by your flesh, by your attempt to make... Is, is that clear if I sort of... This, this is a powerful truth that too many Christians live under. Because we, we want to be righteous, because that's what we are taught, and that's what we're all about. We want to be righteous, and we want to be blessed. So we try, because we don't really understand. Um, we need to see that really clearly. Notice our text clearly says in 5.6, Matthew 5.6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Forgive me for stating the blatantly obvious. I don't want to appear like I'm speaking down or belittling anybody at all. But it does not say, Blessed are the righteous, for they shall be filled. It said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not, not those who try to make themselves... It doesn't say blessed are the righteous. You know why it doesn't say that? Well, Jesus said it. We sang about it all morning here. God is good. God is good. And, and someone said to Jesus, um, Jesus, uh, good teacher. And he goes, why, why do you call me good? Only one is good. Only one is righteous. It's God. 
Now, Jesus wasn't denying that he was God or that he was good or righteous. He was asking the guy, why do you say that? Because he was, he was plugging the guy saying, have you had a revelation? Is this something you've just seen, discovered, been shown? Or are you just using frilly words to try and get influence? That's what, why do you say, but Jesus told us only one's good. And of course, there's a whole lot of other verses that confirm that. Um, it does not say blessed are the righteous. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Romans 3.23, right? You know that verse is, is what we all taught when we do an evangelistic school, uh, teaching us how to be good evangelists. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's true. All have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, in Romans 3.10, Paul goes on uh, to quote the prophets. I think there's, off the top of my head, there's three different prophets who prophesied this message, but, but Paul quotes it in Romans 3.10 when he says, uh, It is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none righteous. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20. Amongst many similar verses, but just this one for now. For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Even those who do good sin. That, that's what we just read. Let me do it again. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20. For there is not a just man on earth. There's not a good man. There's not a righteous man. And then he qualifies it. Who does good. So he's talking about people who are doing good, not evil. There's not a man on the earth. There's not a just man on the earth. He does good. Who does not sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Even the just, even those that do good, sin. Those who hunger and thirst, they shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. Second uh, Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Right? That's the phrase you need to keep. It. Be reconciled to God. Next verse is what, one verse you'll probably be more familiar with. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Right? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We can't make it happen. We can't work it happen. We don't, can't earn it or deserve it. He gives it us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. But, but here's, here's the 
the phrase I ask you to hold on to, which is links the whole lot and is so incredibly powerful, um, where it says, be reconciled to God. So, obviously, I want to emphasize, uh, for he made who knew no sin uh, to be sin for us, that we might, I want to obviously focus on that uh, because we're talking now about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. I'm talking about the filling. How do you get filled? Oh, you have to do this and you have to don't do that. You have to, we'll make all these rules. No, no. He says the only way to do it is to be reconciled with God. To be reconciled with God. When we're, when we're reconciled with God, he knew sin became sin for us. And then we become the righteousness of God. The act of being reconciled to God, which can come in so many varied forms, so many different processes. I, I, I'm not even game to list them, but at least we make it this must happen kind of deal. Like over the years we've made, and, and you've got to say the sinner's prayer at the altar to be saved. But then, you know, we just had Shane Willard sharing many cases where people got saved and then they weren't near an altar or they weren't even, didn't even say the sinner's prayer. Or that confessing with the Romans uh, 9, 10 wasn't even written. And yet they still managed to get saved. And so, you know, the processes of being reconciled to God are varied. It's some kind of recognition and response where you set your heart towards him and you start to believe. And again, it's just the mysterious work of God where some point in your life, he comes and brings, you know, and I'm using words that we will understand, a revelation. I didn't know what that was, but all of a sudden there was awareness that God is real. And, and all of a sudden when you start thinking, oh, God's real, then what does that mean? The process of reconciliation can be very, can be different. And I suppose each of our testimonies can verify that where, you know, all of a sudden we, we, there was just a moment in time and it might have been a process, a process of moments where all of a sudden we come to a point where this God thing's real. whatever that looks like in our lives, at that time, he takes our sin and we become the righteous of God. We are the righteousness of God. Now, you, you say, yeah, yeah, no, no, I don't, certainly don't feel like, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I don't act like that, I don't live. No, but you don't have to. The thing is, be reconciled. We've talked a lot in the past, and we're going to talk more about it in the future, about how that process works and that righteousness that, is instilled in you as a way of working through you. Um, but the deal is, the most important part is to be reconciled with God. And to be specific, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I hope I'm not complicating this. My aim is to make it clear. But Matthew 5, 6 says, um, you, you know, uh, what does it say again? It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and, the, and the blessing is, for they shall be filled. 
right? That they shall be filled is activated by or connected to the reconciliation of God. And at that moment of reconciliation, we would call it repentance, repenting of our sin, believing, confessing, all these words that we use at altar calls. But in the process of that reconciliation, it says, we become the righteousness of God. We're filled. But I've got to emphasize, there's a hunger and thirst for it. We've we got to desire it. We've we got to get to that place, and, and I'm sure everybody in this room, sometimes it's just a wrestle in our ignorance that we give up trying because we think like we failed and we can't do it. It's beyond us. We're unable to do this. Not recognising that, wait a minute, it's the reconciliation part. We are the righteousness of God, not of Dennis Lumley. It's a gift from God. It's an exchange. Um, so the hunger and thirst for righteousness is incredibly important. And it works a couple of ways. Uh, there's two aspects to it. One is, it will, we will be satisfied. Uh, and it's not our righteousness, it's his righteousness that satisfies our hunger and thirst. We'll be given to eat, we'll be given to drink. But it's from him, right? So there's that aspect of it. But, there, but there's a, this other thing about the hunger and thirst because as we read this and other similar verses, it appears that even though you're satisfied, the hunger and thirst keeps wanting more. So it's, there's a continuation. And I believe there's a, it continues until we actually literally stand face to face with him. But all this time, from the moment we get saved, there's this connection, there's this faith, there's this reconciliation process where we become the righteousness of God. And, and it starts when we're reconciled with God. Whatever process that takes us through, whatever that looks like, we're reconciled with God. Now, our, our desire for hunger, our thirst, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness, our desire for righteousness is satisfied then because we are the righteousness of God. But here's the deal. When we realise it, we want more. And that's healthy. It's not doubt or fear. It's like, you know, wow, okay, now there's more. And, and, it, and it's more to do with the outworking of the gift we've been given. It's not us trying harder or getting better dis discipled, better disciplined. It's not us getting more specific rules and regulations. You, you know, we believe in boundaries, but it's not us putting more boundaries everywhere and fencing everything in and making it really difficult to sin because it's not what goes into a man, it's what comes out. It's what's already in the heart that defiles a man. So while I agree completely that we need more boundaries and I, I want to make this the most difficult place for anybody in the world to sin, the deal is it's not accomplished by that. 
So there's this hunger and thirst that's satisfied immediately. We are reconciled with God. But there's this hunger and thirst that continues because we want more. We, we get into a relationship with God. Things start to change. But we realise, the you know, as the light starts to shine, the darkness becomes a little bit more obvious. The, the light gets bright. It pinpoints. But if with the right attitude, the right understanding, we realise, well, this isn't something that, you know, I have to set the rules and regulations and make happen. No, no, no. Th this is an indicator that I need to get closer to God. I want to grow in my reconciliation. I want to get even in a tighter relationship. If reconciliation is about relationship with God, I want to get in a better, stronger, a deeper relationship with God. And that's the hunger and thirst that continues. I hope you're seeing the significance of this. Because this stuff is, it sounds like it's all theory, but it's incredibly practical. And this is the kind of truth that sets us free. Especially when we're, we struggle with guilt, shame, condemnation. Of course, there seems to be a group of people who are more susceptible to shame, guilt and condemnation where there's another group of people who are really good at passing the buck, blaming everybody else, coming up with excuses instead of taking responsibility. See, when we start to understand these truths and continually remind ourselves of these truths, life gets freer. Have you got your communion symbols there? I'd like to take communion right now. So as you prepare, by peeling back that top film, and speaking of film, does anybody know where I can get polarised film from? <laughs> That's a terrible story that breaks my heart, but I'll tell you later. Before you partake, let, let me uh, read Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you, O God? Who remembers the song? Who really wants to sing it? Yes, she's already started. As the deer panted for the water... Oh, there's a lot of old Christians in here. For you all. That's exactly what this is talking about. The same way. And while I was doing my, my research, there are scores of verses that use different analogies but say the same thing. For in us is a desire to be with God, to be close to God. That Jesus calls righteousness. And, and that underneath it all, it's the carnal response to a desire to be with God. Right? So, I'm hoping this morning that those of us are here, those that might be watching on the screen, will have some victories. 
over guilt and shame and condemnation and will walk and live in freedom. Remember, we're reconciled with God through the sacrifice of his son. So why don't we remind ourselves with that right now? Take the wafer, which is the bread that was broken for us. Thank you, Lord. The juice representing the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. The lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. We gotta we gotta win the argument in our head. We gotta win the argument in our hearts. Sin isn't the problem. Sin is not the problem. I'm convinced, I'm being convinced with the battle against bondages, ministry of deliverance, the, that chain-breaking thing. I, I think we got the emphasis wrong. Instead of focusing on the sin, instead of focusing on the habit, the bondage, we need to be focusing on him. Because at the, at, the, at the place when we're reconciled with God, at that place, we are the righteousness of God. So my hope is that at the very least, I've challenged the way we think and we will be open to deal with the things that really matter, which is our relationship with God. Be reconciled with God. There's that initial first but then life, the rest of life is about, and if I can use the word reconciling, is about us getting closer and closer to God. To acknowledging, to knowing, to experience, to living with him, to walking with him. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still impressed. I'm still in awe at that phrase that we came up with, with when we say that God walks with us until we learn to walk with him. It's all about the journey of reconciliation, of getting right, of getting close, of getting more intimate with God, of understanding, of knowing. Can we pray right now? Father, I, I pray for everybody who's come under the sound of these words when I'm trying to express what I've seen in your scriptures that your Holy Spirit will anoint them, those words, and those words will become living and acting and powerful within us. And if needs be, your Holy Spirit would, would interpret them the way that we need to hear them, that each individual needs to hear them. So Lord, when we're, when we're thinking, when we're meditating, when, when we're just dwelling on the things of God, that we, we would begin to see and understand about this hunger and thirst for righteousness that brings us to a place. And we'll understand it's not worked out by me trying to be good and not do certain stuff. 
but by being reconciled to you. Christ took our sin and gave us his righteousness. I pray this truth will set people free. Even now. Even now, Holy Spirit. Take the thoughts I've tried to express. Anoint them. And let people hear what they need to hear right now. Let change break even now. Not because we've been focusing and dealing with the sin, but because we've been looking at the truth. Let us mature. Let us now be able to walk with God. I pray your blessing, your protection, your provision over each of us and our families. I pray that you'll extend this not just to those who hear today or see on a screen, but those who are connected to this church, those who are tightly connected right through to those who are barely connected. But through that connection, let the anointing start to flow right now. That there'll be a new sense of freedom which will bring a greater peace and joy. Your blessing, your protection, your provision. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you were blessed with today's message. You can connect with us at firstfamchristianchurch.com.